Ain't no sense in wasting any time. Let's come right off of uh, let's come right off of that worship, and look at what God wants to do with us. So it's been uh, like almost ten weeks, right? It's been almost ten weeks since we've been in Luke. So let's jump, let's jump back into Luke. All right, we're going to be at the end of chapter twenty-two of the Gospel of Luke. Now I need to reset you at, at, to where we are. Okay. And, and here, here's what I need. Here's what I need. I want you all to do this with me. All right. I want you to sit up straight. Everybody sit up straight. Slouchers. All right. Sit up straight. Some of y'all aren't paying attention. I'm waiting on you. Sit up straight. Okay. And then do the, do the choir thing. Throw your shoulders back. One hand like this, the other hand like this. And just, just think, just sit with me for a moment. We're going to meditate in this. Sit with me for a moment as we, as we take ourselves back about three verses. You ready? The disciples have eaten, they have tasted of the cup, they have bitten from the bread, they have sat with Christ, you can let go now, they have sat with Christ, all right, and they have had the last supper, they have had a sincerely intimate, upstanding moment, listen, not about God, not to God, They've had a moment, what? With God in front of the one who would be broken for their sins. They have taken the broken bread. They have drank the shed blood of God. They should be overwhelmed, right? With God's presence and God's spirit and God's holiness. Here's the next line. A dispute arose among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. Okay. Jesus is about to do the thing for which he came. He has prepped and prepared the guys who are going to take the mission to the ends of the earth. And he invites them to an intimate last dinner where he shares his heart with them. And then he says, even in all of this goodness, one of you is going to totally both mess this thing up and set this thing in motion. You will stab me in the back, but my death will bring life. And they start looking around the room going, who me? Oh, not me. You, not me. You, not me. None of us would do that to you. In fact, I... Preach well. Yes, you might preach well, dear brother, but I listen well. You might listen well, brother, but I keep the treasury which makes a way for all of us to continue to go. Well, I am the fastest at driving out the demons. It takes you guys at least seven minutes. I can do it in three. You, you are the prayer among prayers, but I am the singer among singers. Look at us. 
And within three verses, what has occurred? The focus is off of Christ and what? Back on themselves. And in front of the Christ, they argue about who is the greatest. Now, you need to know that the word greatest here is not just who, who the greatest uh, uh, by talent, who's the greatest by riches, who's the greatest by looks. No, no, no. This word means who people find worthy, who people find praiseworthy. They are actually arguing about who everyone thinks is the bestest disciple. That's the argument here. When they go out in a crowd, whose name are they dropping? Is it Thomas? Is it Peter? When people are coming to town, are they talking about the guitar player, the lead singer, the drummer? Who's the best known when we waltz onto the scene? That's what they're arguing about at the end of the communion. That's it. And Jesus, don't you think he wants to just take a giant God-sized hand and do this and slap them all in one big stroke? I would. But gentle Jesus, who's not gentle at all, don't make no mistake. The most powerful man to ever walk the planet. The greatest warrior, men, right? Who ever lived simply knew from the immortal words of Kenny Rogers when to hold them and when to fold them. When to and when to run. He, he wasn't weak. When it was time to strike, he knew when and how. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles, okay, lord it over them. You point to people other than you, Jews, God's people, Gentiles, not God's people. That's the way their history told them. And so those that you point to as unworthy raise their kings up. And those who exercise authority, they call them benefactors, rulers, leaders, those who govern. Benefactor wasn't one who received the blessing, but it was one who was given the authority by the people, all right? Granted leadership by the people, or in the case of Rome, took leadership and demanded it by authority. But you, so here's what Jesus is doing. In contrast to how you've been brought up, in contrast to how you act, in contrast to what elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, in contrast to what popularity, social media, in contrast to what the world says makes you worthy, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. And 
this moment, that room sounded just like this. But Jesus, you and I both know that the youngest is the squib. The youngest is the runt. Sure, 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 sure. We allow the youngest to be a part of the family, yes. But the youngest cleans the cobwebs out of the corner of the bathroom. The, the chores that the youngest gets are what's left. And, and they're, they're not included in, in the will, and they're not included in, in the payment, and they are last in line when we eat, and if there's nothing left, they do not eat. And Jesus goes, and? He says, I, I, I didn't make a mistake when I told you what I told you just now. I know this because I'm God and I do not make mistakes. So your interpretation, however shocking to you, is actually completely accurate. If you want to be the head of the household in the kingdom of God, you will act as if you are the youngest. You will be the last in line. You will do the hardest jobs. And when you are unpaid, you will still sing my praises. You will not point to the older and say, look what they got. You will say to yourself, I'm thankful, not for what I earned, but for what you chose to give me. And the one who rules, like the one who serves. And then he flat out asks, who is greater? The one at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? Stature tells us that because we are worthy, we can come in and take a seat where we will be fed, where we will be waited on, where we will eat and drink from the abundance of someone else. But the bottom line is, if you really understand how things work, you starve if they don't bring it to you. You go thirsty if they don't pour it for you. You eat with unclean hands and unclean feet if they don't wash them for you. You have put yourself in such a place where you feel cared for, but your ignorance goes unnoticed. But I come to you. I arrived among you as one who I arrived among you as one who The telltale sign of who will lead is who will serve. The telltale sign of who will experience is who will serve. 
One preacher put it this way. He said, example, enemy, experience, and enjoyment. Example, enemy, experience, and enjoyment. He said, if you want to know about serving, the greatest example of serving is Jesus. The greatest enemy of serving is you. The greatest enjoyment of serving is knowing that his grace covers you. And the greatest experience of serving is a kingdom beyond this one. Those who serve experience what God really intends. How do we know? We look at the life of the greatest. Not considering equality with God something to be grasped, he humbled himself and became a man, not a man, but a servant, not a servant, but one who would wash feet, not one who would wash feet, but to death, even death on the cross. The eternal became mortal. But then God exalted him to the highest place that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. The foot washer became famous. The servant was the savior. Death brings life. And you, you argumentative, misunderstood nincompoops. You're welcome. You argumentative, climb the corporate ladder, get everything for yourself, show up but don't give up, disciples. Now, of course, I'm talking to Jesus. Jesus is talking to the 12, not to you. You, nincompoops, have stood before me. That's such a fun word, nincompoop. Says all you need to say. It's kind of hilarious, but, you know, for all of us, as Paul said, I'm the chief compoop. Okay? It's a loose translation, but it's close. You have stood beside me in my trials. Here's what that means. When I finally said, everybody else has run away. My, this is too difficult. What are you guys going to do? Peter went, if not you, then who? Where are we going to go? I know. I know. Cassandra, you got to, you know, she's with you. And I confer on you. Okay. Jesus if you guys don't understand what's happening here, I can't help you. In their most decrepit, in their most dumb state, in the, they're arguing about a lack of humility while Jesus is preaching on humility. And he says to them, as he says to us, the greatest enjoyment is the grace of God in our stupidity. I confer on you a kingdom. I'm sorry, what? As my father conferred one on me, 
I pass the torch of understanding and of conveying the greatest message ever spun, the anti-message of the world, the opposite of everything that the earth has for you to hear, the absence of sheer humanity for the sake of the godly. I confer upon you a kingdom unlike you've ever seen for this world so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the throne judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm giving you an opportunity to do what was done in the past when they are taken out of slavery, when they are broken down to their very most broken, minimal selves, when they are down to nothing, I will send you out and you will become a nation. That's what happened in the Old Testament. 12 tribes spread across the world. And now the mistakes have been made. The sin has overtaken. There are no more kings. There are no more rulers. There is Jesus. And he is saying, unlearn everything that you've learned and a kingdom will come greater than you have ever known and you will be the start of it and you will sit with me in it oh dear simon oh simon you loud mouthed sword swinging ocean walking go-getter of a guy I have prayed for you, Simon. <laughs> Guys, hey, you know what this is? This is that teenager. This is that teenager, the one with so much potential, but the one that drives you up a wall, and there's more than one of you. I'm just not looking. Peter is that teenager. So much potential. And I'd just as soon shoot him as pay for him. True story. But they are going, Jesus says, you to rock. And everybody else goes, dumb as a rock. And Peter goes, I'm the guy. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Wait, what? Did you catch the, did you catch what happened in there? Listen, there's an assumption that has to be made in that sentence. I have prayed that your faith may not fail. Thank you, Jesus. And when you have turned back, in order for him to turn back to Jesus, what has to happen? The implication is right here in between two sentences. God, kid, I love you. Kid, I believe in you, and I see so much potential in you, but you are about to screw it up royally. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Now, listen, I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop right here. Because that's a whole nother thing. We're going to go... Peter and, and then Peter later, all right. 
but we really, we really need to understand that all of this comes down to the greatest being the least. All of this comes down to the first being the last. All of this comes down to the strong being the all of this comes down to the mighty being the meek. All of this comes down to an anti-human, an anti-earthly, an anti-kingdom perspective. Not his kingdom, the kingdom of this world. In order for you to be filled in order for you to be fulfilled, you must pour out. In order for you to be fulfilled, you must pour out. There are some of you who sit in here every week, sometimes twice a week, and you wonder why God's not doing a work. You wonder why God's not changing. And I can tell you why that is. Because you arrive with a full cup. Well, what do you mean I arrive with a full cup? Isn't that what I want? Don't I want God to fill me up? I want God to fill you up. The problem is you come in with your cup full of you. Your cup full of, look what I did. Your cup full of, I'm working on my problems. I'm working on my marriage. I'm working on my teenagers. I'm working on my salvation. I'm working on my church. I'm working on making things better. I'm going to go to the next thing. Your cup is so full of you, you ain't got no room for him. And you sit around with your full cup waiting on God to do something. And he's begging you to pour it out. Those who serve become fulfilled. Those who go lower get lifted up. People need to serve me. Go on about your bad self. Have a nice day. Jesus loves you. He can't do anything for you. Not because he won't. Not because he doesn't want to. But you kind of like that... Uh, hotel Mary and Joseph pulled up to. King of the world right outside your door and your sign says no room. Jesus wants to do the mightiest work that's ever been done on the planet and you got a sign that says full up. Yes. Jesus says, go. He does. Yes, Jesus says, make disciples. He does. But before that, he said, if my people who are called by my name will what? Humble themselves. Then I will do. Be still and know that I am God. I got to make a confession. I got to make a confession. 
And there's students sitting in this room, and I've already told them they know this is not. God has been working on me since this godliness broke out in Wilmore. I don't, I don't have a name for it, and you guess what? God doesn't need me to name it. There is a godliness that broke out in the lives of broken people here in our county. And ever since that time, I, I walk every day outside freezing cold and I'm listening to all this stuff and I've missed half the chapters because God was speaking to me about, you know, hey, how are you going to respond? Hey, what would you say? Hey, what would Jesus do? Hey, where's the scripture lie? And I was overwhelmed in my spirit that if, 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 if I had the chance, I would, I would say this thing. If I, if I could stand in front of one person or a hundred people or a thousand people, and this would be my response from the scriptures to what God is doing. And I began to play that out right in my head. And God blew my mind. Had nothing to do with them and everything to do with what he wanted to teach me. And it's something that I've taught for years and it never hit me this way. Not because he says but because he is. I've said it over and over. Not because he says, but because he is. We don't experience God because he tells us to. We experience God because he is in us. We don't experience God because he says, don't lie, because he is truth. We don't experience him when we do not steal. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And here's what hit me. Here's what hit me. He is, is just a tense, of I am. And when God wanted to free his people, he did not send Moses in and have Moses say, God said, do this. God said, do that. God said, do he could have, he could have said, God said, get off the throne. But God didn't tell him to say anything. What did he tell him? Tell him I am. I don't have to speak. I am. Because of my sheer existence, you experience everything. And when you get that, when you understand that you didn't breathe in or breathe out, you cannot sing without me. It's my breath in your love. He just is. God just is. And you will not understand it until you are not. Until your work is not. Until your faith is not. Until your hope is not. Until your peace is not until the things of this world pass away in you. If anyone would be my disciple, he must deny God can't be if you're trying to. The message that he had for the 12 men that would change the world after they sat with him, took of his body, drank of his blood, was this. If you want to be full, 
you have to be empty. If you want to be fixed, you have to be broken. If you want a new kingdom, you have to be the opposite of this one. Unlearn everything that you've learned when it comes to the kingdom of this world. God's way of God's leadership is serving. The way to revival is repentant. I leave you with this line from one of the articles that I've read over the past week and a half. You do not experience this kind of joy until you've been open to this kind of pain. It takes the overwhelming agony of confession and repentance to experience the overwhelming joy of God's presence and His grace. Chew on this. Sir, humble, repentance, brokenness brings life. You want to come alive? Though he dies, yet shall he live. Let's pray. Over and over again in, in my mind has been a, a song from, from, from God from my past. And it's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. Your favor, Lord, is our desire. And it's your goodness, Lord, that makes us stand in silence, your love is better than life over and over again. It's your kindness that leads to repentance. It's your kindness that leads to repentance. Jesus's overwhelming grace and empathy and, 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 and mercy among the 12, rather than tear down, he simply says, my final instructions to bring the kingdom of God to this world. Serve them. Wash their feet. Meet their needs. Be the least of these. May those words fall on fertile hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.